worship. We have many things that we can look at our world and, and wonder. You know, we, we live in a Western world and mindset which is different than the, word, the world of Scripture. The world of Scripture was, was one that wasn't as we know it in our lives here. In our world, we, we uh, see and we hear time and time again of the need of independence. The need of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. The need to be self-sufficient. The need to do it your way. In fact, isn't that one of the songs of Frank Sinatra, Years Gone By? I did it my way. And there's always this pull to do it our way. And sometimes that's not a bad thing. Sometimes doing it our way can be okay. But within that, we, we are suddenly, if we're not careful, getting ready to submit to a law that says all that matters is me, myself, and I. All that matters is the individual. All that matters is your own personal freedom. All that matters is you. It also means sometimes we buy into the fact that no one can help me. Or I need not show you when I need help. Because I'm supposed to be able to do it myself. I don't need assistance, so to speak. And when we do that, we forget the fact that we were created for communion. We were never created to be alone. Adam wasn't created to be alone. God created Eve. And together, male and female, he created them both in the image of God to be together a community. And, and to some extent, this is the idea that we, we sing this morning. Praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one. The mystery of the Trinity is the idea that there is a relationship one with the other. There's an interdependence of, of God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. And I can't, I can't adequately put words to that. There's no way for me to adequately, but there's a relational nature of God himself. If, if there was one person who could say, I am self-sufficient, I am all-sufficient, I am independent of anything and everyone, who would that be but God himself? And if that was the case, you know what the reality would be? You and I wouldn't exist. This world would not need to exist. Because God in himself is all-sufficient. That's one of the beautiful doctrines, may I say, or theologies, I think, of Scripture. That God does not lack. And isn't that what we start to read in Scripture? What Satan said, he wanted to be like God. He wanted to be all-sufficient. He wanted to be independent. He wanted to be the boss. And forgot that we were created for community. 
out of his glory, out of his love, this world was created. We were created for relationships. One of, I believe, one of our most innate and basic needs is one of belonging. Regardless of how you do that, we look at that in different ways. Sports help us belong. Our places of work help us belong. In fact, even if you take some of the most violent uh, communities out there, gangs, what do they provide? A place to belong. Now, they may do things that disregard another need, and I won't go there this morning, but we must remember we were created for community, and therefore community is Powerful. And right away, we start to see the issue of the Western mindset. Right away, we start to see the rub you and I face where we don't want community. Or we don't want authentic community because that may mean I might need you, you might need me. We need one another, but that must mean I have to do something about it. And when our world is at its best is when community is at its best. Where do we normally see that? Tragedies. When life isn't right. When life doesn't go well. We see one another being there for each other. But we must be careful because community is powerful. Paul said this, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. I've said this many of times from this place, but also one-on-one. -on -one. Show me your closest friends, whether you're an adult or whether you're a child, and I can probably predict where you will be in five years. And I don't care how good of a character you may have at this moment. If you have friends, if you have company, that is closest to you, that does not match your character, you will change. And part of the warning of James is for leaders like me, like many of you sitting there, is to realize that our character matters and that we as churches must be careful because even a little bit of bad company will corrupt a good character of the church. And so we must choose wisely our friendships. We can't be haphazard within this. We can't just be, as, as the phrase, make a willy-nilly. Do you guys know what that means? All right, that's not just a Joyce Bowen and I phrase. I mean, you Northerners know that too? Okay. Because sometimes I don't know what I picked up from Brown. You know? And there's lots of great things I picked up from Brown Spence. Uh, I didn't know if that was one of them. But we can't just meander around life and hope that we will attract good things. We've got to be intentional. And here in the book of James, in this passage this morning, we see this idea of friendship with the world and friendship with God. We've got to be careful about this. Because if we're not careful, we will get to a point where we go, whoa, what has 
what is going on? And so James this morning reminds the church of what our issue is. We can see this. He asks this rhetorical question. What causes fights, battles, wars, quarrels, strife, division? Use any of those words and you're getting the idea of what he's saying in verse 1, among you. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? What has caused every war since the beginning of time? The desires inherent in a person or group of people. To some of the brightest moments of the church is when we stood opposed to that. And some of the darkest moments of the church is when we gave in to that. The kids and I, we were watching The Curse of Oak Island last night, one of our favorite shows. George, you're right there with us, I know. And, and Daniel asked a very insightful question. And it was, who were these knights of the Templar? The Knights Templar. You know? And this order that keeps coming up within the show that historically uh, existed in our time. And I tried to be pretty judicious in how I answer this. But the reality of is the time of the Knights Templar weren't the best of times for the church because that's a time when we initiated the Crusades, the Inquisition, and we boldly and sometimes sometimes with good truth tried to tried to uh, proclaim the goodness of God and protect the nature of God, and we were the instruments of great violence. Much to the sting of God's We joined in on this idea, the desire within us that we must prove that we are right, that we are the truth. And hundreds of Maybe thousands, maybe tens of thousands of lives were just wounded in the name of Christ. That's the reality. And we can get caught up in this desire, the desire that Paul says in Romans 7, wages wars within us. And that passage that, uh, you know, I don't fully understand yet, where he says, I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I want to do, this battle within us. We must be aware that the issue of the church is that we fight within ourselves, and sometimes we fight among ourselves. As the story goes, a man got stranded on an island all by himself. A beautiful island to some extent, but he, after he realized no one was there, he built a couple things. One, he built himself his own dwelling, his own house. And secondly, he built himself a church. And, and, and he went to that church faithfully. He thought it was the best church he's ever been to on the islands. And he continued on. And then, uh, you know, many, many years later, he was finally noticed. And, and so they came and rescued him. By that time, he built some other structures. And the people rescuing him said, well, I see this place. What is this? And he said, well, 
And they said, well, what is this building? He said, well, that's my church. And I love to go there. And they noticed another building. He said, well, what that's, what's that building? And he said, well, that's my former church. I left it because I couldn't get along with the people. And we can laugh at it, but that's their church. This is what James is talking about in this whole letter. The battle within us, the battle within a church where we, we try to do it our way. When we try to make the church in our image instead of in the image of Christ. When we will not submit to a community willingly or even voluntarily. Or maybe we won't even say, you know, for the sake of the greater good, maybe something needs to be changed. Not because anything is wrong, but to show this idea of a true, authentic community. And so we get battles within and without. How many times churches have struggled with, the, with a simple thing as in, what will the color of the carpet be? Now, we, we're not there, fortunately. Lord, by the grace of God, we are not there. But there have been many churches that have been there. You know, and I would like to joke, sidebar, but I'd like to joke that whatever color of carpet you like, we probably have in this building, okay? So have no fear. We can find your favorite color here, you know? But we will. We'll fight over that. Or the color of walls. Or any of the light, which, let's be honest, it really doesn't matter much. You know, yeah, we probably won't, don't want bright pink in this place, you know. But you know what? The color of the wall doesn't really matter. We can fight over other things. I don't know if this church has ever fought, but I've been in other churches that fight over music. Over what style is best, and it continues. It continues not in always overt ways, but we will say things like the old music has good lyrics and the new one does not, which is partially true. But if we say two new songs that I think have great words this morning, we also sing an older song that has great words. The thing is, we don't know some of the old songs that have bad words. Because they've fallen away from things. But even then, sometimes, we try to say, this is the song I think we ought to sing, when really it's maybe a song that you ought to sing. And it's a struggle. As anyone who's picked out songs, I mean, I'm sure, and, you know, Jeff does his best to pick out great songs, but, you know, sometimes I'm sure he might hear, why don't we sing this song? And it's nothing personal, is it, Jeff? You just pick out what you can. You know, there can be consternation about what songs we sing or not. I know I have felt that pressure here in us. Or, or when we make things in a certain way. For instance, there's a story that I read this week of an individual who, uh, as a teenager, was going to a church they had some history, some trauma in their past that they weren't ready to reveal yet. 
But they walked into this church in the late 70s, early 80s. And they had, she had on jeans. And she was told by the church, leaders in the church, that that was not forgivable to wear jeans at church. How dare she wear jeans in church? And as she internalized that, you know what she thought? If I'm bad, if I'm evil for wearing jeans, heaven forbid you know what I have experienced in life. That must be even more unforgivable. I've experienced that. We in the church, we as leaders must always be careful. I've done many of work with teenagers. Do you know what that means? I've seen some pretty dumb stuff. I've seen some stuff that you go, obviously you weren't thinking. Evan, I'm going to give you a little bit of a, an excuse, but you're not allowed to use it with your dad too much because he knows where he came from, all right? Evan, your brain is not fully formed yet, okay? This front part right there, go ahead and put your finger right there. Everybody, put your finger right in the front part, all right? That front part, that's where we think critically. That's not formed yet in you, Evan, okay? So there are times when you want to say, Dad, I wasn't thinking. Dad, he's being honest. He wasn't thinking. You know? Same thing with you straighter boys, Daniel, you too. This doesn't form yet. This is why, uh, two things. This is why, one, the younger a person is, it doesn't form until you're about 25, so there's still hope for lots of us, okay? This is why they will... They will drive a car so stinking fast and then when put over what were you thinking? I don't know. I wasn't. Absolutely. I I know of teenagers who uh, have done really dumb things in churches. Okay? Like ride skateboards in a sanctuary. Not a very bright man. Okay? Uh, this is also why uh, most of our military, Chad, what's the age of most of our military? Especially front lines. Yeah, our military. Probably between 18 and 25. Why? Let's think about this. They're not thinking clearly yet? Because why else would you hold a gun and go and face somebody who's also holding a gun or doing something else to you? You don't think about that and go, uh, there's not a lot of logical rational for that. That's why those who are life bombers typically aren't on the front line. They're commanders. They're people calling the shots. Now they can, but they think critically through. And they are responsible for lots of things. The issue sometimes we forget in the church is that teenagers will do things that, well, aren't very smart. And we will let them know. And I've had many of good godly leaders say things that when I heard about it later, I tried to just very gently and lovingly say, you might have been right, but I think you misplaced there. Because if we're not careful, as James reminds us here in, in, in this whole book, but if we do not are not reminded that our, our goal 
is to be friends with God, which means at times we, we must show grace over justice, or grace and justice, where we can rightfully correct, correct somebody, but we must do it graciously, very much, gently, because people may miss who God is. Many times, I have worked with individuals where I built a relationship over months for one harsh word to drive them completely away from people who are godly people, who love Jesus, but may forget that our desires to keep things pure, holy, not defiled, it's in the way of the grace of Jesus. And it's a reminder we cannot make church into our own image. For when we do so, we miss who is in charge. He goes on to say, we pray, but we only pray to spend upon our own needs. Why don't we have some things? He says, you have because you do not ask. But then when you ask, you don't receive because you you, you ask with wrong motives, but you may spend on whatever you want. And sometimes it's a reminder that we may look the part. We may look like Jesus to some extent. We do the right things. But we don't really want the words, Thy will be done. Your will or my will. Not my will, but yours, O Lord. We may utter those words, but we really hope deep down inside. No, because we want to do what we want. We want what he wants. And we're not willing to give up anything. But James reminds us of this truth. God longs for us. Now there's debate over this phrase, you know, where he says that, that God jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell within us. But there's this idea throughout, I think, of scripture, uh, actually, in the very first command. Anybody remember the very first command of the Ten Commandments? That's actually the prelude to that, but that's a great one. Love the Lord God. What, what does he say? Do not serve. Why? Because he's a jealous God. And we think of jealousy as negative, and a lot of times it is. But we have to realize this, that, 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 that God longs for us so much that he desires undivided loyalty from us. He's not looking for a relationship that is open-ended, as our world may say. He's looking for something exclusive. He's not a God that goes, well, yeah, you can love me when you want, and you can go do your own thing when you want to do your own thing, and just come back, and as long as we see each other every so often, I'm okay. How many times do we, as a church, can do that? In fact, that was part of the problems with the Jewish establishment of the first century. They looked the part, they, they, they wanted, but they forgot that God longed for them individually and collectively, and not just what they could do. God longs for you. He, is, he wants us as his people to be his people. And because of that, we read in verse 6, but he gives us it says more grace or great grace, whereas I like to say grace upon grace. Does our world need Jesus? 
know. Is our world ripped with violence and jealousy and murder and adultery and covetousness? Does our world, is, is our world consumed with personal gain? Is our world filled with injustice? Is our, is our world in need of revival? Is the church filled with broken people? Is our church filled at times with injustice? Is our church filled with times when we'd rather turn a blind eye? Because we're not sure we really want to go there, as it may mean going against the flow of how things have been. Is our church filled with personal preferences? Does God's church need revival again? We probably willingly say, yes, I don't mind. And James gives us the traits of revival, but on, at some point in time, the issue is we may desire those things, but if we're not careful, we desire revival because that may mean we get a greater sin and we want revival, but we want it on our terms. And here's the thing James is going to show us in these final verses of chapter 4, 1 through 10, the traits of a revival, but it's going to be contrary to what you and I probably want to do. It's going to be contrary to the ways of this world. It is going to remind us if we want to be a friend of God, these are the traits that we must have in order to be a friend of God, which means we will not be a friend of the world. And God does not want, will not like a divided loyalty. Matthew, Matthew and Luke says it this way from the words of Jesus that you'll read in your devotion. If you do it, uh, the one that I provide this week. He says, you cannot serve two masters. You will hate one and love the other. You cannot serve both God and money or the world. And so here are the traits of revival. If you want revival in your life, if we want a revival as a church, if we think St. Paris and Champaign County needs revival, then we as the people of God must do those, these things. And if we don't do these things, there is not going to be hope for those outside of the world, outside of the church to do those things. Because they do not have the Holy Spirit within them. And so, what, first and foremost, we must be willing to submit to God. We must be willing to accept that you and I are not God. This is not my church. And I trained very hard in my words to never say that you are my people, like I own. Ha. Goodness gracious. Like I own Joyce Bowling. I mean, I like to tell her what to do on Wednesday night, but I, she can always tell me no. She does. I just tell her no back. And we love it. I'm not, I'm not the owner of this church. Jeff McCullough is not the owner of this church. Larry Smith, oh, he is moderator, and he has great power. With great power comes great responsibility. He does not own this church, right, Larry? No. And, 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 and sometimes we think we, as the members of this church, collectively own this church. And there's an extent where we do. 
where we, as individual members of this church, dictate to some extent what it says, but ultimately and fully, we must realize this is God's church. None of us own it. We may vote on things. But what we're trying to vote on, why we need wisdom, as James would say, is we want to go, okay, Lord, this is your church. Have your way and your will in this place here. And any time someone submits to God, revival will start to brew. But you can't just try to submit and then go your own way. We must draw near to God. We must repent. And the promise here that James says is, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Oh, wow. What, a, what, what is one of the most promising promises of, of the Bible? That makes sense. Maybe the greatest promise of scripture is that what you've got to do is just start turning towards him. It's a repenting. It's going, you're going this way. I go over here. And as I go, God meets me. That means I don't have to go all the distance myself. And is this not what we see in scripture throughout the whole time? God meets people. He doesn't wait for them to get to him. He meets them. The whole sacrificial system was about people meeting God collectively and individually. The nation of Israel was called so people would meet God collectively and individually. Christ came so people would meet him. He didn't wait until people just kind of said, hey God, we're ready, we're right here. We come to your doorstep. When we draw near to God, when we are willing to repent, when we will take our energy to him, he's going to meet us there. On the road, he will meet us. So what do those two things look like? See, when we do those two things, revival is brewing among us. We must resist the devil. Why? Because he will flee. We have a job to resist the patterns of this world. <laughs> to resist the claim that we get to have final say. To resist the claims that, that, that I, I'm not worth it. To resist, resist the claims to say, I don't need anyone else. To resist the claims to say, I don't need accountability. Or that I need to do this my way. We will resist those. And he will flee. You see that? Maybe the second, the second great promise of scripture. We can resist. And we will win. He will flee. Satan is not all powerful. He's not all sufficient. He may come back. But when you put up a fight, even if you say, get away from me. Or, or no, not today, Satan. He will go away. And when we do that, I think there's a reason he says resist and then come near to God. Because when we resist, we've got to know where to go to. We can't just stay put. We must resist and let Satan flee, but then run to our Savior. Over and over again. Next, we have to allow Christ to forgive you. You are forgivable. Did you hear that? You are forgivable. I don't care what you have done. Christ can forgive you. 
And we as a church need to proclaim to anyone who has ears to hear, they are forgivable. Doesn't matter what they have done. If the thief on the cross can receive forgiveness, where Jesus says to them, today you will be with me in paradise. If the Roman executors, if the Jewish leaders who put Jesus on the cross, if Jesus can utter the words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You and I and anyone around is forgivable. Back to my story about that little teenage young adult girl who heaven forbid wore jeans to church and was called evil and unforgivable for that. Or wasn't known to anyone at the time, and I hope it would make a difference, but it shouldn't matter at the beginning. Because she was carrying around the trauma of abuse. She was carrying around the fact that she was an unwed mother at the age of 17. And that guilt and shame that was there. And she thought, if, if what I wear makes me evil, then there's no way this Jesus guy can forgive me for the past wrongs I have done. I work with, I work with enough, unfortunately, or fortunately, with people who have abuse in their background, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, which is the one that irks me the most. And the spiritual one is becoming greater and greater. I'm glad people are getting help. It irks me to no end. And I have to be very careful there because i got to remember Christ can forgive anybody, even a spiritual abuse, which is, I think, granted in our churches. And sexually. Where they believe they are unforgivable, that they did something to cause that to happen. And so they walk around with this idea that Jesus can't forgive them because of what has happened to them. And we, as the church, need to be able to say time again and again and again and again, you are forgivable to the person who has trauma in their background, to the person who has been betrayed. You are forgivable to the person who has done things that they ought not to have done. You are forgivable to the person who has been hurt because of abuse. You are forgivable. There is great grace for you. And we need to allow Christ to forgive us. And then as we will start on Easter Sunday morning, we're going to start a series on forgiveness. How do we forgive not only others, but how do we forgive ourselves? Because I know many of Christians, myself included, many of times where I can't forgive myself for something I did. And if we want revival, we've got to allow the cross of Christ, the, the forgiveness that, that permeates the cross, that flows from the cross of Christ, to forgive us completely and fully. Or then we will be able to forgive one another as Christ has forgiven us. What do you need to be forgiven for? Where have you made your faith in your own image? Where have you made it, like faith synonymous would say, I did it my way? Which may not be God's. There is forgiveness for you. This is why he says, wash your hands. Purify your hearts, grieve, mourn, and will. It's this idea of when forgiveness comes, you become clean, First John said, if we will confess our sins. He, being Jesus, is faithful and just to forgive us from all sins. Not only that, but the law is but will purify you from all uncleanness. 
Isn't that, isn't that what we want in our world? We want our world to be clean, right? We got to preach the message of forgiveness, not just repentance. Repentance is this, you need Jesus. They do. So why? The message of forgiveness is, there is one who is waiting to forgive you for everything you have done, as the woman at the well had said in John chapter 4. You do need Jesus. You need Jesus because he will forgive you. He will give you everything you long for, a belonging, a love, and a grace, but he won't just give it to you so you can go do your own way. He will say to you, as he says to me, go and sin no more. But when you do sin, he will forgive we must be willing to do that. And in so doing, we will humble ourselves in community. You are not alone. This Christian faith of ours is not an individual faith. It is a communal faith. Yes, it is a personal faith that you have to make your own, but it is community-oriented. We must be in community. So I say, yes, Jesus is waiting for you. James talks about being a friend of the world, meaning not being a friend of God. And being a friend of God means not being a friend of the world. But I was reminded that one of the last words that Jesus said to his disciples as I come to a close is, I call you my friends. You are no longer servant. You are my friend. And greater love knows nothing like this, that a man that they found his life for his friends. You are, if you want to be a friend of Jesus, let me tell you, he's waiting for you. But it is going to cost you. It's going to be, you can't be a divided loyalty. It can no longer be your way. It can't be my way. It has to be his way. Or it is no way. And that's why my prayer, I think I prayed it this morning out loud, not I prayed it in my head at least. Lord, get me out of the way, Father. Because I can get in the way. I know that. Because there's a part of me that fights that wants to be in the middle of things. And if I'm not careful, being in the middle of things will mean getting in the way of Jesus. And so, as I said a couple weeks ago, with the with my thoughts and remarks uh, on uh, you know the revival of Asbury, I'm reminded of the words of Gamaliel, not a follower of Jesus that we know of, but there was tremendous wisdom. And what he said, when, it, when the early church was, was looking at things, when they were trying to figure out uh, what was happening, you know, when, when Gamaliel in the book of Acts, when, when they're trying to figure out what to do, he says this, and I think we need to see this as we get ourselves out of the way. Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a while. Then he addressed his fellow leaders, men of Israel. Consider carefully what you intend to do. Church of Jesus, consider carefully whatever we intend to do. Some time ago, there was a person who appeared, claimed to be somebody, and 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and his followers dispersed, and it came to nothing. And then another one came, he says, and a similar thing happened, and his followers were scattered. Therefore, I advise you, listen to these words, church. Leave these men alone. 
Let them go. For if the purpose or activity of human origin, it will fail. If it is about us, it will fail. If we make church in our own image, it will fail. Not the church of Jesus, for he will always have a witness. But this church will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. And you will only find yourself fighting against I know our heart feel. I know every one of our leaders' heart that serves on a board or a committee is not <coughs> the fight. But so to do that, we must take these steps from Jim to Bible. We must submit to him. We must humbly accept ourselves into community. We must draw near to him on a daily, weekly, hourly basis sometimes. We must resist the urge to do the things our way. And we must, above all else, of these things, pray for wisdom. Wisdom to get out of the way when God says, I'm moving, are you coming? And wisdom to say, may, may others follow Jesus as he calls them. Will you pray with me? Father God, we come to you now. Lord, I thank you for this time. I hope I haven't, uh, you know, been just a jumbled old mess. But Lord, even so, the power of your words, whatever your word is proclaiming, it does something. And so, Lord, I, I think there may be some who need to repent. Maybe I need to repent. And Lord, if that's the case, just give me out of the way. Lord, give me out of the way so that you may be glorified. Lord, uh, may we draw near to you knowing you, you are going to draw near to us. Lord, may we realize we are forgivable. Regardless of what we have done, there is forgiveness. Now, forgiveness doesn't mean we get to do our own thing. Forgiveness means we must submit and humbly accept you and one another. And so, Lord, we help us to draw near to you. And in drawing near to you, we will be drawn near to others. And so may we allow your blood to wash over us, the blood that will cleanse us, the blood that will forgive us, the blood that will give us grace upon grace. And, Lord, in all things, may you and you alone have your way in our lives and in this church this day. And when we do those things, revival is coming. It may not look like what Asbury looked like. It may not look like what the world may think it needs to look like, or even we need to think about it. But any time we do those things, you reviving us, and you are glorified. And so, Lord, we ask that you would help to start a revival within me. May it start here, in this church, and that we would let you take it wherever you would want to take it. Lord, we thank you, and we love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Will you stand as we sing this?